Welcome to Musicians Maintenance, the podcast for musicians who care enough about their craft to make sure their body never limits their potential. For the full Musicians Maintenance experience, sign up for the email newsletter for the tips, tools, and resources that will help you take care of your body at least as well as you take care of your instrument. Simply head over to musiciansmaintenance.com to join. That's musiciansmaintenance.com. Hello, and welcome back to another research review where I take you through some musician's health research, uh, break it down for you so you can hopefully understand it, perhaps even make it slightly interesting, and uh, give you my perspectives on how it might help you. So let's get into uh, the study we're looking at this week. And so this is a continuation of the study that, of, the, of a series of studies that started with one that we looked at last time. So that one was a, a really rigorous development of an exercise program for professional orchestral musicians. And today we're going to talk about a study uh, by the same authors that's a follow-up to that called The Effect of a Musician's Exercise Intervention on Performance-Related Musculoskeletal Disorders. And it was published in 2014. And I'll link to it in the show notes, of course. Uh, so let's get into it. So in the in the previous study, they'd spent all of this time developing what they thought was a really good exercise program for musicians. Now it's time to test it and see if it actually uh, is useful for professional orchestral musicians. Uh, they also had this um, kind of a secondary question, really, that or an idea that in musicians, general physical activity is good. Uh, but it may not be enough to prevent injuries in musicians. And perhaps you need a purpose-developed program to do that. So they wanted to, to investigate that idea a little bit as well. So here's what they did. Uh, they took, again, professional orchestral musicians. This was done in Australia, where these authors have uh, relationships with all the major orchestras in Australia. And they put together two groups, one group that was just going to keep on doing the activities that they'd been doing, and one group that was going to do these, uh, this exercise program for, for a time. Now, in, for a scientific study, we'd love to have this be randomized. So you get a bunch of people, and then you just randomly decide who goes into which group. In this case, they decided they weren't going to be able to do that because of the scheduling limitations uh, of the musicians. And so... Uh, Participants volunteered either to be in the control group where they continued on doing what they'd been doing or in the exercise group. So that kind of weakens the study design a little bit, but, you know, you kind of have to work with what you got in real life. And if they were currently injured, they were not allowed to participate. This is more looking to prevent injury uh, and, and deal with kind of like the, the smaller injuries rather than as a way to treat the major injuries that were preventing people from playing. Uh, so the program, I went over the program in a little bit more detail in the, in the last study, and I, I'll link to that whole that podcast episode as well. But briefly, they were 35-minute exercise sessions. Uh, in this study, the musicians went through around 16 sessions of it over an average of 10 weeks. Uh, and there were... It was live sessions, so there was a physical therapist trained in this, leading the exercise program, with a maximum of a six, six musicians in that group, so small groups. The program consisted of a warm-up, a group of exercises that were targeted at all of the major areas that 
tend to be relevant to the types of injuries that musicians get, and then a cooldown. Uh, along with that, each of the participants documented their progress. So they documented the number of sets and reps and how difficulty or how difficult they found a particular exercise. Uh, they were also given a booklet with pictures, descriptions, and how to do the how to do the movements on a step by step basis for the exercise, the warm ups, the cool down, uh, as well as uh, the dosage for each exercise, and that being the sets, reps, intensity, and rest, and things like that. The Sets and reps they did for the majority of exercises, three sets of 12 repetitions for exercises that were considered a static stability exercise. They did three sets of six repetitions, but they did it much slower. And really, the, they were looking to get uh, 30 to 40 seconds of total loading of a muscle. And that's we, we can talk about that maybe in a future one in terms of why the number of sets and reps from an exercise science standpoint, but that 30 to 40 seconds of loading is is right where it needs to be for a good exercise program of this type. And then in terms of the intensity, they used what they called an RPE scale or a rating of perceived exertion scale. And they had them exercise from what they felt would be a 10 on the scale or fairly light to 14 on the scale, which is somewhat hard. The scale that they used is called the Borg scale. It's kind of a weird scale because it goes from 6 to 20, which is, you know, why not go from 0 to 10? That makes mo the most sense. It was developed for use in aerobic exercise. So 6, they, they figured, and, and they wanted to correlate this scale to people's heart rates. So 6 was kind of similar to a resting heart rate of about 60, and 20 was similar to a maximum heart rate of 200. And so they each of the, the levels... They wanted to correlate to to a heart rate level, so that's why it goes from six to twenty. Um, as confusing as that may be, so eleven is considered. If you go look up the Borg scale, you'll see a scale from six to twenty with little um, commentaries about how difficult each level feels. So, a, uh, a working at a level ten people would rate that as fairly light. Working at a level 14, you'd rate that as somewhat hard. You don't want to be going too much below or too much above that in this program. If you're, if you're working above that somewhat hard level, there's a good chance you're going to be uh, cheating during your exercise at some point. And then during the sessions, the, the physical therapist monitored uh, the six people they were working with for signs of early fatigue. So if they're shaking, losing form, can't maintain their posture during the movement, if they're straining or over-recruitment of muscles that they're we're deliberately trying to recruit less of. So that's the basics of the program. And then what they were really looking at, the outcome measure for this study or what they were measuring and wanted to see if they could change, is both the frequency and the severity of what they call uh, playing-related musculoskeletal disorders, which is a fancy way of saying musician's pain. Um, and they measured this over the previous week. So to define a uh, playing-related re musculoskeletal disorder, the standard definition in the research is any pain, weakness, numbness, tingling, or other physical symptoms that interfere with your ability to play your instrument at the level at which you are accustomed, and you exclude any mild transient aches or pains that may simply be a representation of common everyday symptoms. So... And with this, they used a 0 to 10 scale. So for the frequency, frequency over the past week of that playing-related musculoskeletal disorder, boy, that's a mouthful, um, 0 would be never, 
10 would be constantly. And for the severity, 0 would be none. 10 would be the worst imaginable. And they also looked at uh, the, their, the musician's rating of perceived exertion during activities like practice, rehearsals, and performance um, to see if doing the program helped them. You, you think if you become more fit, you could do the same task with less exertion. So they wanted to see if they would, uh, if people would report feeling less exertion while they're doing the same things that they're doing before. And then there are a whole bunch of secondary outcome measures, and I don't really want to get into get into that too much. Um, we'll kind of focus on the the main findings of this one. And they also recorded uh, for the people who volunteered to be in the exercise group. Uh, what were the main reasons for doing the program? And for the people who were in the uh, control group, they asked them why they didn't want to be in the exercise group. So with the, this information, uh, the, the frequency and severity of the, we'll call it just the pain that they were having, uh, they collected that before the exercise period, immediately after completing that 10-week uh, that or so program, uh, it ended up being 9 to 12 weeks, depending on the person. Um, and then six months after that, to see if something changed, did that, were they able to maintain that in the longer term? And for the, for the musicians that, that they brought in, they, there were 16 total face-to-face -face sessions that could be done. And to be included in the, anal the analysis, people had to have completed at least 12 of those. So you could only miss four. Plus, they had to do another one self-directed session per week. So it wasn't just the working in the small groups, but they did one additional each week on their own. So it ended up being uh, the, the musicians in the group were exercising between two and three times per week. All right, so what, what were the results? So they got 85 people to volunteer. They had 60 who would go in the exercise group and 25 who volunteered to go into the control group. And from a, you know, if we look at the strength of research, this is a fairly small study, so it's going to be hard to take away really concrete, um, concrete information from it. But that kind of makes sense because it's hard to find professional orchestral musicians, and it's really hard to find ones who are going to be willing to volunteer their time for any kind of study, much less a study about exercise, which is going to take even more time and can be a little bit, uh, I suppose, that there's a level of trust that has to be there for them to enter into an experimental exercise program and believe that they're not going to get hurt. So it's not a huge study, but I think it's pretty good. Um, out of those 60 exercise people, 16 of them didn't, didn't uh, do the number of exercise sessions that they needed to. So they didn't do at least 12 sessions. And then in both groups, some, sometimes in studies, you know, over looking to keep track of people over six months, you just lose track of them. People don't return phone calls or emails or what have you. So four of that, four people in the exercise group and two in the control group uh, were, as they call it, lost to follow up. One thing to, that gets looked at in research like this, especially if you're going to compare the difference between two groups, is that those two groups should look pretty similar uh, at the start of this study. You know, if you have two groups that look different and they have a different result with, with, the, 
what you're looking at. It might just be because you're looking at different groups of people. So with this, it turns out that we're looking a little bit at different groups of people. Uh, when you look at males versus females, uh, there's twice the percentage of females in the exercise group. So more females were willing to volunteer for the exercise group, uh, for the exercise program. In terms of instruments, the exercise group had a lot more of higher strings and the control group had more lower strings. In the control group, there's far more people uh, who reported that they were already doing physical activity. And so that, you know, that's quite different between people as well. And in terms of the, the reasons to participate, uh, as, as I said, they were uh, wondering about this. People who uh, volunteered to be in the exercise group were interested in learning specific exercises to support their player playing. Um, and they were also interested in learning procedures or, or techniques to support their playing. So it was really all about their playing. For the folks who wanted to be in the control group and didn't want to be in the exercise group, they, the main reasons why is that they were already exercising, which was by far and away the most, um, or that they didn't have any time, or they, they didn't feel like they had much pain. So getting a little bit more into like what they actually found in terms of, of pain, uh, there were no new injuries reported due to the program. So I know this is a major concern of for musicians is if I exercise, I'm probably going to hurt myself more. And at least with this program, that didn't happen. Now with the, the baseline pain, uh, the exercise group had higher uh, pain frequency and severity versus the control group. So on that 0 to 10 scale, the control group had kind of like a 1 and a 1 and a half for frequency and severity. The exercise group had about a, I guess it was 4.4 in terms of frequency and severity for each. So real low in the control group, kind of moderate in the exercise group, but apparently not to a level that drove them to seek out care. Now immediately after the program ended, so they'd done all of their their 12 to 16 sessions, the exercise group showed a significant decrease in frequency and severity. So the exercise group went from four down to about the threes in both of those categories, frequency and severity. Controls actually increased over this time. They increased from about 1.5 to about three. Uh, not great for them. Uh, at six months down the road, the exercise group continued to, to decrease as well. Uh, that first decrease was statistically significant, so it was uh, more than chance that they decreased there. At six months, it decreased more, more gently, so we can't be quite so positive that that's not just uh, measurement error. But they went down from threes to about the two and a halfs in both frequency and severity. So going down overall from baseline, going down from uh, from four out of ten frequency of playing related musculoskeletal disorders and four out of ten severity of them down to two and a half. That's that's pretty good. That's a fifty percent reduction in uh, in terms of how they're feeling. And the control group ended up at about a two as well. So they went from a one up to a two. And I think it's important to to note the the timing of this program. Uh, so the Musicians had been on a break, and then they, as they were returning back to their, their playing schedules, that's when they began these, these programs. So that kind of explains why the control group might have been doing pretty okay. They'd been on break, kind of exercising to some, taking care of themselves, and then their playing ramps up, and 
pain ramps up as well. Again, it's only it's only the two level that that tends to be a fairly manageable level, but it's it's a change nonetheless. Whereas during that same time, when playing is ramping up uh, for the exercise group, and they're finding the time to do the exercise, you'd expect them to go from you know potentially these these folks are at risk if they're at a you know four out of ten frequency and severity of pain, and then they start ramping up their playing. That to me is somebody who's kind of on the edge of uh, getting themselves into some some pretty serious injury trouble. And with this program, they go down to basically where the control group was. So pretty interesting finding there. And so so in terms of the author's discussion of this, they found they concluded that a tailored program was safe and effective um, and was associated with a reduction in the severity and frequency of playing related musculoskeletal disorders. And that for the control group, um, most were exercising, but most of that exercise was aerobic exercise or general low load strength training or just doing general sports. And that they they believe that what they saw here uh, supports their idea that that might not be enough for these really high level musicians to keep themselves healthy. So that's that's this this study, I suppose. Um, my thoughts on it are it's a it's a really nice study. It's I, I really love this continuation of we made it. Now let's test it, and we'll we've got a, a couple more from this group as well that we'll talk about in the future. Um, but it does demonstrate that this program is effective at taking people from you know what would be kind of a low to moderate degree of of pain and injury, not hurt them more. Number one, and bring that down, bring the, that that. Uh, severity and frequency of pain lower by about 50% in this case, while at the same time, um, oh, I've lost my train of thought, while at the same time that happening, while their playing is increasing, um, and again, this is professional orchestral musicians, so not um, their, their playing is increasing quite a bit. So I think that, that means that this program uh, certainly deserves very close consideration uh, if you're thinking of starting an exercise program. What it doesn't tell us is, is it better than other programs? You know, it sounds like it's better than this the control group pro- program of aerobic exercise and kind of more general strengthening. We don't know that sh- for sure based off of the study design, but it, it sure sounds that way. So, so that's my takeaway for this study. I hope that helps you. I hope that motivates you a little bit to learn about smart ways to exercise as a musician, and then it really can, number one, uh, not injure you in the process, even when you have a lot of, uh, even when your playing volume is really high, and number two, it can benefit you from a frequency and severity of pain perspective. So if you have any questions about this, feel free to shoot me an email, cody at musiciansmaintenance.com, and if you have any studies that you run across that you'd be interested in Uh, having me do this with and share with others, uh, certainly send them over as well. Thank you very much. Move your body and play safe. Bye-bye. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening to Musicians Maintenance, the podcast for musicians who care enough about their craft to make sure their body never limits their potential. If you enjoyed this and found it helpful, then please consider helping to support the podcast by recommending it to a friend or colleague or sharing it on social media. You can also leave a review on your favorite podcasting service to make it easier for other musicians to find the podcast. 
Also remember, for the full musician's maintenance experience, sign up for the email newsletter for the tips, tools, and resources that will help you take care of your body at least as well as you take care of your instrument. Simply head over to musiciansmaintenance.com to join us. That's musiciansmaintenance.com.